you get your Bibles out and turn to John chapter 6, that text we just saw on the screen and had read to us as part of the text of our message today, and I've entitled the message, What's for Lunch? What's for Lunch? How many of you in the room, this is a participation time, how many of you in the room know what you're having for lunch today? Put your hand up. How many of you asked your spouse or whoever you live with, what are we having for lunch today? Like, I do that all the time. Am I the only one in the room who does that? Come on, you people just aren't honest today. I have a bit of a fixation on what's for lunch as I'm eating my banana at breakfast because I want to kind of plan through the day. Now, we're supposed to go out for lunch today, and we don't know where we're going yet, so I don't know what's for lunch. It's really got me a little bit distraught on a message that I'm preaching called What's for Lunch. And, uh, but it's a little bit of what's going on in this text And you see it actually in verse 26. Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me uh, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. And uh, so let's get a little bit of the setting as we dive into this message. What's for lunch? Jesus is saying, I am the bread of life. Verses uh, 22 to 24 say, on the next day, So this is the next day after what has just happened. Um, And what has just happened was the feeding of the 5,000. And then Jesus tells the disciples to go and get in the boat. And then they get in the boat and they they meet Jesus on the water. That was Matt's message uh, from last week. And, And now they're on the other side. It's the next day and they meet Jesus Um, On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So then the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples. They themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. And then if you flip, probably I have to flip the page over to verse 59. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. So we have the feeding of the 5,000. It's just been done. Jesus has walked on the water and calmed the storm, and they are now in Capernaum. Um, got a picture for you, I trust, to go up on the screen. Uh, this is the synagogue in Capernaum. Sue and I were there uh, in 2013, and this is the place that Jesus is teaching. Now, actually, this is the synagogue as the archaeology's work has been done that's down to about 400 BC. And so the actual floor that Jesus stood on is probably still one floor down. Um, but this is the place. It was so cool just to go and stand there and go, this is the place where Jesus taught, I am the bread of life. Here's the big idea for this message today. Jesus did not come primarily to give bread, but to be bread. Jesus did not come primarily to give bread, but to be bread. What they wanted was food. What Jesus was offering to them was something much greater. We're about to embark on six weeks. There'll be some breaks in the middle, but six weeks of the I am's that are found in the gospel of of John. There are seven I am messages. 
And we're going to look at six of them in this series. I'll explain to that in just a minute. But where Jesus is saying, I am. Um, in Exodus 3.14, God introduces himself to Moses with the expression, I am who I am. And so when Jesus boldly in front of the people and the religious leaders is using words like I am, he's not just, not just claiming to be some guy out with some teaching thing. He's telling them, I am the I am. That's who I am. These uh, I am's that Jesus says are metaphors. So what is a metaphor? Here's, here's one definition. A metaphor is a figure of speech that describes an object or an action in a way that isn't literally true, but helps explain um, and an idea or make a comparison. Basically, a metaphor states that one thing is another thing. And Jesus said, I am the bread. He wasn't a loaf of bread, but he was representing something. Some of my metaphors that you may know in your life, um, work today was a nightmare. It wasn't a nightmare. You were probably awake through most of it, but it sure felt like that. Um, maybe you said to your, uh, your honey, you are a shining star. Maybe you didn't and you should. Um, they're not literally a shining star, but to you, they are a shining star. Here's one. Uh, one of our kids, our daughter, who will remain nameless. Um, <laughs> your bedroom is a pigsty. Your bedroom is a pigsty. He is a couch. Yeah, he's not actually a potato. He's a couch potato. Um, she has a heart of gold. It's not really a heart of gold, but... That athlete is a machine. Okay, those are metaphors. Um, one thing to describe another thing. The metaphors that we see in Scripture are, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. Lord willing, we'll see that next week. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. We're not going to go back and look at that one because me here took care of that one when we took a look at the miracle Jesus did in the raising of Lazarus. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the vine. And so Jesus gives, or John gives us these statements of Jesus. Seven times Jesus said, I am. And in this one, Christ says, we saw it in the text was read to us, I am the bread of life. In verse 25 it says, and when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? It's interesting, Jesus doesn't really answer their question, but he now begins to describe to them two things that we need to understand. The first one is about the bread that perishes. We need to understand about the bread that perishes. Verse 26 again, and Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Uh, they wanted Jesus for what he could 
provide for them what he could give to them. Now, they just wanted another meal. They had had the feeding at the 5,000. They've now followed Jesus to Capernaum, and they want, like, Jesus, what can you do for us? What can you do for us? What can you give to us? And, and Jesus is all about what he's really going to offer and supply to them. Um, they wanted a source of food, or maybe even they wanted miracles we've seen in other parts of the book. They wanted ease and comfort and a king to rule over them in Jerusalem. The followers of Jesus wanted those, those people who were following him at that, that's what they wanted. And I, so my, I guess the question for me would be, what do you want from Jesus? What is it you're looking for from Jesus? Um, is it another meal? Is it an easy life? Is it to have no problems? Uh, there was a prayer request that came in a couple weeks ago and, and someone asked that, that they wouldn't have any problems in their life. And I get what they were saying. Like, they're going through a hard time. I'm not putting down what they are saying, but we're going to have problems. The great thing is we have the one who helps us through the problems. And, uh, but do you want a life with no problems? Do you want a life that's good health? Do you want a job? Do you want to pass your exams? Do you want to um, have human wisdom? Maybe you want a new government in Canada. Maybe you want a Jesus who's a little bit like a genie and he's just like, Get, ask me the three things you want. I'll give you those things. And so your thing may not be a piece of bread like theirs was, but we can be like that sometimes. Isaiah 55, 2 and 3 says, Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that, what your soul, that your soul may live and I will make with you an everlasting covenant my steadfast, sure love for David. What do they need? Well, in verse 29, Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe, that you believe in him who he has sent. Um, in verse 30, it says this, it says, So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What works do you perform? Didn't he just feed them? Didn't he just take some loaves and fishes and feed 5,000 men plus children, plus the women? Didn't he just do that? And they're like, what, 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 what do you do? What, what are the signs? What are the, we saw, we've seen the messages about the signs that Jesus has done. Um, verses 31 to 34 says, Our father ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And then Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread also. And then Jesus lays this on them. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me will never thirst. The bread that they ate the day before would go moldy. The bread they ate would only satisfy for a short period of time. 
The manna that Moses gave to them had to be collected, had to be consumed within certain times, and over the Sabbath they had an extra day and had to be eaten immediately. Jesus isn't saying that the things of this world and bread in this situation aren't important. Um, Matthew 6, 11, when the prayer says, give us this day our daily bread. It's talking about bread. It's talking about food. Deuteronomy 8, 3 says, he humbled you and let, your hung- and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. And 2 Corinthians 9.10 says, He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Having a good lunch today is not a bad thing. Wondering what's for lunch is not a bad thing. But if you miss who the real bread of life is, you've missed the main thing. Look in verse 33, what it says there. It says, Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. The bread of God is not dough. It's not um, wheat and water and whatever. It is he right in the verse says he, and that's Jesus. The real bread that we're seeking after is is him. You see, the bread of this world perishes, and what they wanted and what they were going after and what they desired was something that was not going to satisfy. And I just wonder in my life, how many things do I go after that really aren't going to satisfy because I'm not going after the true bread of life? Who is Jesus Christ? There's the bread that perishes, but then there's the bread that perfects. And that's the rest of our message. The second thing we need to see is the bread that perfects. Jesus is getting to something way more important than physical bread. He multiplied that bread. He provided the manna. What Jesus is offering is something far greater. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. No more hunger. No more thirsting. Remember the woman at the well? Jesus offered to her the living water. And she said, give me some of this living water. Why? So I don't have to keep coming to the well. She didn't understand yet. Jesus is offering something greater than physical water to the woman at the well. Jesus is offering something greater than physical bread. In John 4, 14, whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become to him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So what is Jesus speaking about? Get your eyes down into your scriptures and take a look. Verse verse 37 All that the Father gives me will come to me. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Verse 40, for this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. In verse 44, no one comes to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day, the next verse, it is written in the prophets and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father 
comes to me. Comes to me. That's the work of Jesus, to draw people to himself. We understand our sin separates us from God and that the Bible says there isn't anyone righteous, not even one. No man seeks after God, the Bible says. And so it creates this tension. Believe me, I live in this tension all the time of the working of God and the responsibility of man. And we find it in this text because the word believe, 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 it's all over the text. And so we have this responsibility But we have this awesome work of God that he does that's outside of the realm of our understanding. But it's clear in Scripture. And it's clear here. Jesus does this work. It's like man hates God. No man comes to God unless the Lord starts that work in his life. But then we're called to come and, and to believe. God's part. I'm dead in my trespasses and sins. In the power of the Spirit, he makes me alive in Christ. For by grace you're saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works so that no one would boast. But the Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. If you need somebody to explain that to you, if your pastor has to have the beautiful answer to that, you got the wrong pastor. Because there's a tension in that that's beautiful in my mind. It's the awesome, all-knowing, all-powerful, sovereign God on the one hand. And it's the wretched, sinful man with no hope on the other hand. You're dead. He makes you alive. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. It's a beautiful picture. It's a beautiful picture. Believe. But back to what we've talked about, about this believing, not believing about him, but believing in him. I look at verses 38 and 39. For I've come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he's been given to me, but raise it up on the last day. This is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. In John chapter 4, verse 34, Jesus said to him, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. I love that Jesus' submission, submission to the work of the Father and the desire of the Father, his, his coming is to do the will of God. And, and in this text, and this is the will of him who sent me. Jesus' desire was to do the will of God who sent him. Um, Jesus says, then goes on to teach them some things that in this text at first glance might seem shocking to you. And they should but they help us understand the work of Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. And so I'm gonna get the guys to put it up on the screen. I want you to see it as I read it. It's verses 47 uh, through verse 56. Um, Here's what it says. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. We understand that. I am the bread of life. We understand that. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. We understand that. 
This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink the blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks on my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks on my blood abides in me, and I in him. Wow. Really? Like, what does that mean? What's Jesus getting at when he says, I am the bread of life? What's what's he getting at? Let those words wash over you. Jesus circles back to the manna and compares it to the true bread that satisfies. The picture actually seems a little bit gross. But remember, we're talking about a metaphor. We're talking about a picture. And Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And now that the metaphor is established, Jesus is pressing the symbolism even further. Unless you eat me and drink my blood, really? A lot of confusion can come out of those words, especially if you lose the sight of the fact that Jesus is teaching a picture in a metaphor. Jesus wasn't teaching, you're going to come up and gnaw on my arm and gnaw on my leg or cut my throat and drink my blood. That's not what he was teaching. He was teaching what was a picture, but, but groups of people have got that wrong. And I'm going to come back and give you some evidence of why that's wrong. But, but the, um, um, the Catholics in their faith and Orthodox church believe in this thing called transubstantiation. And when you have communion and when you have the cup and when you have the bread, it literally becomes the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. Um, other people believe in something called consubstantiation. That'd be more like what the Lutherans would hold. It's a picture. It's not literally, but it, it spiritually becomes that. And that's how they kind of answer this text. The major Protestant movements would say it's a metaphor about his flesh and his blood. And that the bread and the wine are symbolic. I'll come back to why I don't believe those other two views and why I believe the view I have from Scripture in just a moment. But whatever it is, let's understand some things. What Jesus is saying is serious. It's critical. It's not just something you can just wash over and go, well, okay, we're going to have communion in just a couple of minutes. It's not just something you go, well, just Jesus is saying, unless you do this, unless you do this, you're not part of the family of God. So it's serious. It's essential. It's limiting. It's showing, Jesus saying, we're going to see it in John 14, I am the way. Jesus says, unless you do this, the way to God is through Jesus Christ. Lots of ways to Jesus, 
Lots of ways that that happens, but there's only one way to God, and that is through Jesus. So if you get this eat and eat the bread and eat the body and eat the blood, drink the blood wrong, you miss the purpose of what Jesus is all about in his life. It's not Christianity is one way among many ways. It's important it brings salvation. It's important it leads us to sanctification. It's important because it's where our security comes. When you have done this, you have the security of knowing Jesus Christ, knowing that you are in the family of God, knowing that you have a great hope. It's a foreshadowing of the final work of Christ where the physical bread is replaced replaced by the living bread, Jesus Christ. Okay, so I said we don't physically eat Jesus or drink his blood. In Matthew 26... 26, it says. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread. After blessing it, he broke it, and he gave it to the disciples, and he said, take, eat. What's the rest of the statement? Pardon me? Thank you. This is my body. It wasn't his body. It was bread. Take, eat. This represents my body. Luke twenty two nineteen, 19, and he took bread, and when he'd given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given to you. Do this in remembrance of me. In 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three to 26, it says, Paul says this, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant of my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me, for as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The bread of communion does not become the body of Christ, the cup of communion does not become the blood of Christ, but they represent something so, so important for us. They represent the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And we're told, do this, do this. The Bible doesn't say how often you should do it. Just do this in remembrance of me. Well, how do we do this? Well, by believing by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, believing what he has come to do and what he has accomplished. They're still on the other side of the cross, so give them a little bit of grace here. We understand what all of this was leading to when Christ was saying, unless you eat my body and drink my blood, Jesus gives us the rest of the story by the time he goes to the cross, and then they see it, and after the resurrection, they understand it, and Paul says, don't ever forget to remember what Jesus Christ has done for you in his body, on the cross. Because you're saved. Because you have eternal life. And so today we're going to have communion during the message so that we can just take a minute and focus on who the Lord Jesus Christ is and what his claim is on the believer's life.
of this is my body. She'd cause us to stop and cause us to remember the work that Jesus Christ did for us. She'd bring us a great hope because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, if you're here today and you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ for your salvation, then communion is for you. If you're here today and you've never put your trust in Christ, then eating this wafer or drinking this grape juice will really be a waste of your time. If you think somehow doing this is going to get you closer to God, this isn't the body of Christ. But it represents an awesome work of Christ. This isn't the blood of Christ. It's grape juice. But it represents something that is so awesome when we think about Christ's blood poured out for us, the remission of sin. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. And so Jesus said, believe and you will be saved. And so maybe you're holding the cup in your hand and that wafer in your hand and you've never trusted Jesus Christ. Maybe this is the day. I hope it is. I pray it is. When you would say, Lord, I'm a sinner. And I need a Savior. And there's only one Savior, and that's you, Jesus. Today I'm transferring my trust from what my hope has been in, thinking I can do good, I can work hard, I can satisfy you, God, by being a good person. And I realize it's only through the bread, the body, and the blood of Jesus Christ that I can be saved. And today, today I'm putting my trust in Jesus Christ. That's the kind of prayer you pray. You accept the fact you're separated from God, you're a sinner, you cannot solve that problem. Jesus Christ solved the problem. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. If that's you today, you can do that right here, right now, right where you are, and you can be saved. God loved the world so much that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting A follower of Christ, if what I just said doesn't make you go, I am so blessed. Look what Christ has done for me. Like that's what it should draw us to. And so as you know, you've heard me say it before, communion is not for perfect people. Communion is for people who are growing up in Christ. It's for people who have been forgiven. And in Christ, we've been forgiven. The righteousness of Christ has been put on us, undeserved, put on us. And our sin has been put on him. And so we do this so we'll never, ever, ever forget what Jesus Christ has done for us. Unless you eat me, and drink my blood, you can't be saved. But as saved followers of Christ, we have this great memorial to remind us that one day we're going to do this with Christ together again in heaven. What an awesome 
awesome reality for us. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11, we need to examine ourselves. We need to search our hearts to make sure we're right before God. If there's any sin, we confess it. And if we confess it, he is faithful and just to forgive us. So, so if you're that person, I, I, I noticed that there's a lot more cups that are put out than people actually take. And that's because we put lots out. But I wonder if there's people in the room who are like, well, no, I, I'm just not worthy. I'm just not worthy. I'm not good enough to take communion. You're right. You aren't. And neither am I, except for the work of Christ. Except for the work of Christ. If you're waiting until you're worthy, you will never take communion. That's called works salvation. You still think you've got stuff you've got to do when Jesus said, I did it all for you. I did it for you. If there's sin that you know of, sin that's unconfessed, confess it. And I kind of like this statement. Maybe, maybe there are times you shouldn't take communion because there's sin you're wrestling with and you're not dealing with. But don't get to next month and still not be taking communion. Right? For I see from the Lord what I deliver to you that the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father, when Jesus said, eat my flesh and drink my blood, it's, it seems crazy to us on the human level. But in the picture of the metaphor, we understand exactly what Jesus was saying. So Lord, will we be people of God who have a heart and a passion for you that goes beyond the salvation piece that goes beyond the Jesus did this for me, I trust Jesus, he's my savior, I'm going to heaven, but moves to a part where we are so in love with you because of the work we can't help but live for you and for your glory. Teach us that, Father. Would we people walk faithfully for you and for your fame? And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in John chapter 6, in verse 56, it says this. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me. Abides in me, and I in him. There's a picture of an ongoing work here. Abiding in Jesus Christ. You could take a look at feed on my flesh and think about Jesus says the word of God. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Feed on the word. 
feed on the word. You can think of the work of the blood of Jesus Christ as the work of our salvation. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. But coming out of that is a life change in the person's life who understands what Christ did. And it, it, it comes to abides in me, abides in me. And we'll come to that in John 15. But there are some verses in scripture about that. John 15, 5 says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Abide in me. It means sticking with it and staying with it and hanging in there and being sanctified and growing up in Jesus Christ. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. Wow, what kind of a statement is that? I can just willy-nilly ask God for anything I want. No, no. You ask for the things that are about abiding, the things that Christ wants, the things that he desires. You ask any of those things, he'll give those things to you. 1 John 2.28 says, And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in, in shame at his coming. 1 John 2, uh, verse 6 says, Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. And so we have this feeding on the word, feeding on the work, feeding on Christ, which brings us to abiding in him because everything we have is found in him, which leads us to an awesome, awesome hope. And it's found in verse 57 and 58. As the living father sent me, and I live because of the father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that, come down, that came down from heaven. Not like the bread the father's, Ate. Not like the bread that you ate yesterday. Not like what you're looking for today. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. That's our hope. That's our passion. That's our desire. More of Jesus, more of Jesus, more of Jesus. Well, so what? Two weeks ago, um, me here preached a message on the authority of Christ. Last week, Matt preached a message on the sufficiency of Christ in the storm. Today, we see the provision of Christ that meets our every need, including our salvation. Jesus Christ did not come primarily to give you bread, but to be the bread of life. He is enough. He is our satisfaction. He is our hope. He is the source of our salvation. How hungry are you for Jesus? What's for lunch? A little more Jesus. A little more Jesus. Let's pray. Father, this is your word. Thank you for the example that Christ gave. Thank you for the picture that he gave. Thank you for the hope that he gave. Lord, I pray that you would continue to work in us and through us for your glory as we look at these I am statements of Jesus. Would they draw us closer and closer and closer to him as we understand just how awesome our salvation is, how great our hope is. You didn't come to give us a piece of bread. You came to be the bread of life. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.